0: Welcome to the Boost Health Podcast, where we are searching for wellness balance. Your host is Paul Samberg, a certified strength and conditioning specialist with nearly 20 years of experience in the health and fitness industry and degrees in human biology and business. At Boost Health, our passion is to learn and share new wellness tactics and help individuals create their own personal health strategy. Join us on this journey of being open-minded and trying new things. You can learn more at MyBoostHealth.com. Welcome to the show. Find your balance. 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 Find your balance. That is our goal here at Boost Health. Welcome to episode number 54 of the Boost Health Podcast. Today's show features a special focus on sleep, stress, productivity, and routine, and how we can reset our feedback loop in these. For example, you might be stuck in a low sleep, high stress feedback loop, where you may not be getting enough sleep, which is increasing your stress, making it difficult to sleep, and so on. You just get sort of stuck in a loop. Sleep, stress, productivity, and routine are so interrelated that I don't think you can talk about one or two of them without talking about all of them. As always, I'll dig into the research in these areas and share strategies to optimize your health. First, one quick announcement and then we'll jump right into the show. Extra Boost Guides. The very first Extra Boost Guide is now available and I'm offering a 50% discount. Just enter the coupon code SHOW54, that's S-H-O-W-54, at checkout, and you can get 50% off. The first guide is for full body strength training and requires no equipment. It's 37 pages of pictures, descriptions, videos, and audio cues of all the movements. These are the exact cues that I use with my personal training clients to get them the best results possible. A dynamic warm-up full body workout, and cool down are all featured in the guide. It is great for workouts while you're traveling, at-home workouts, or even just give you some new ideas for your gym workouts. I'll link to it in the show notes and blog um, so you can go check it out. All right, now here's episode number 54, sleep, stress, productivity, and routine. Reset your feedback loops. I recently had one of my corporate wellness clients ask me to do a presentation on sleep and stress, as that was a common theme of an issue with folks in the office. And I agreed, and I started digging into the research like I always do, and I wanted to make sure I was bringing the latest and greatest. And I started to notice a lot of crossover with these and the topics of routine and productivity. I realized that they all actually work in feedback loops with each other. According to the BusinessDictionary.com, a feedback loop is defined as a channel or pathway formed by an effect returning back to its cause and generating either more or less of the same effect. Consider productivity and stress, for example. Good productivity generates lower stress, which generates more productivity, and so on and so on. This would obviously be a good feedback loop to be stuck in, but you can also get stuck in a poor feedback loop. Using productivity and stress again, you could have a high amount of stress which would cause you low productivity, which in turn would cause you more stress and so on. Interestingly, you can apply this type of better makes better and worse makes worse feedback loop to any arrangement of the topics of sleep, stress, productivity, and routine. With this in mind, I will cover the latest and greatest research in all of the topics with regards to your health. And as we go through each, you'll notice the common ground and why getting each area under control can prevent a domino effect in other areas. Let's talk about sleep first. Even as we're learning more and more about the importance of sleep on overall health and longevity, it seems to still be grossly underestimated by folks. I get lots of giggles when I say my bedtime is 830. But why is that? Why is it silly or uncool to go to bed early? Nobody laughs when I say I wake up at 5 a.m. That's tough. That's cool to get up early. I think we need to remove this shame about going to bed early and getting enough sleep. The old saying, I will sleep when I'm dead, is kind of similar to the old Marlboro Man cowboy ads, in my opinion. We used to think that they were tough and cool, but now realize they're killing us. Sleep is important. Sleep is cool. And as we will discuss more quality sleep will actually make you live longer before we dive into all the amazing research on sleep in an effort to inspire you to sleep more it's good to know exactly how our sleep system works Uh, and there's two major systems in our body that cause sleepiness it's the homeostatic system and the circadian system first the homeostatic system works pretty simply on the longer that you're awake the more sleepy that you're going to get. Your brain has this chemical called adenosine that it builds up that makes you sleepy the longer you go without sleep. Basically, being awake longer creates a drive to get more sleep and get more balance into your system. It should be noted that caffeine actually temporarily blocks adenosine, that chemical that builds up that makes you sleepy, hence the lack of sleepiness when you drink coffee. Also, exercise increases adenosine. As many of you know, I recommend getting some sort of exercise daily, and now we can add good sleep quality to the list of reasons why. The circadian system works with the day's sun-night cycle and is linked with our biological rhythm. Biological clocks are part of this circadian system as our innate timing device. These clocks are found in nearly every tissue and organ in our bodies for regulating timing and rhythm. All of these individual clocks are managed by one master clock in our brain which is basically a big group of about 20,000 neurons. The main cue for influence of our circadian rhythm is light. When the master clock perceives light through the biological clock, it will tell the brain to make more melatonin which is a hormone that makes you sleepy. You've probably heard of folks supplementing with melatonin to help them get sleepy. We are like plants. Dr. Chris Winter wrote an excellent book on sleep called The Sleep Solution. I'll link to it in the show notes and blog. If you struggle with sleep duration or sleep quality, it can be a fantastic resource. In the book, he talks about a study on flowers, light, and rhythms. You see, we aren't the only creatures that have circadian rhythms. Most living things have circadian rhythms, even down to the microbe level. The study looked at how flowers would respond in a greenhouse with controlled light. When the flowers were on a 12 hours of light, 12 hours of dark cycle, they thrived. However, when the flowers were put to random timing of light and darkness, they died. Even if the total light they were given was totally equal up to 12 hours, they still died. It seems that plants need a natural cycle of light to prevent disruption of their rhythms. Humans are similar we need to follow a light and dark cycle and get at least eight hours of sleep during the dark cycle. And we'll hear more about why eight hours is so important here shortly. Let's talk about sleep stages really quick. I think it's important to have a rough idea of how these work so that you understand that it's not really just about switching off your brain at night and going to sleep. There's a lot of stuff that's happening. So you actually go through four major stages during your sleep. The first stage is light sleep where everything just starts slowing down. It just takes a couple of minutes, but you're really easy to wake up in that first stage. The second stage is light sleep again, where the system slow down even more and now your body temperature starts to drop and eye movements stop and you actually spend most of your sleep time there. I remember when I first started evaluating my sleeping stages uh, with my sleeping app, I was really frustrated that I was spending so much time in light sleep and not more time in deep sleep, but as I learned in these stages that you actually spend most of your time in the light sleep cycle. So that's not unusual. Stage three is deep sleep and we actually need this stage to feel the most refreshed and it's longer in the first half of your sleep. Your heartbeat and breathing slow down to their lowest levels in deep sleep and your muscles are totally relaxed. And stage four you've probably heard of is REM or rapid eye movement and this begins about 90 minutes after you fall asleep. Now, your eyes move rapidly from side to side behind your eyelids, your breathing becomes faster and irregular, your heart rate increases, and your arms and leg muscles relax and may even become temporarily paralyzed. Most of your dreaming is done here, and you have less REM with age the older you get. I'm actually going to share a screenshot of my sleep uh, cycle in the show notes and blog if you want to check it out. Now, one thing that's interesting to me is that you go through these stages and cycles. It's not like you just flip a switch and go one, two, three, four, and then you wake up again. You go through these different stages several times. So that's why it's important to understand if you have interrupted sleep or if you have a short sleep duration, you're not making it through these cycles properly, which can affect your overall quality of your sleep. Okay, now some sleep research, hopefully to get you inspired to sleep a little bit more and make sure your sleep quality is good. If you're not interested in all the research (laughs) and just want the bottom line, then basically just make sure you get eight hours of high quality sleep every night and you'll be fine. For those of you that aren't convinced that getting good quality sleep is important, or if you just want to reinforce your already good sleeping habits, then we'll go ahead and dig into the research. So Matthew Walker, he's the professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California, Berkeley, he recently did a TED talk on sleep and he brought forward some really interesting studies. He noted that the deep sleep stage seems to be where we move memories from short-term to long-term storage. It seems that making sure you spend enough time in deep sleep is super important from a cognitive standpoint. He also mentioned some alarming information on lack of sleep correlated with increased disease, including a higher chance of several types of cancer and also a 70% reduction in your immune cell activity when you're only getting four hours of sleep. Dr. Chris Winter makes a good case in the Sleep Solution book that sleep isn't just simply flipping a switch off on our bodies, but rather it's the series of amazing and critical processes that are taking place in every system of our body. He discusses how the glymphatic system in our brains actually helps us remove waste, and this works best while we're sleeping. One of the key waste products is a protein called amyloid beta, which accumulates in the brains of Alzheimer's patients. Low sleep duration and low sleep quality can impair the ability to get rid of toxic waste that builds up in your brain during the day. An interesting note was that this waste removal seems to work best when you sleep on your sides. So kudos to all those side sleepers out there. Apparently six hours of sleep doesn't appear to be enough sleep duration. A 2013 study in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America found that participants who were limited to six hours of sleep each night for one week had surprising results in their gene expression. Genes for immunity were completely turned off and genes associated with tumors, inflammation, and stress were turned on. It is amazing to me that this happened in just one week. Apparently, seven hours of sleep doesn't seem to be enough sleep duration either. A 2015 study in epidemiology looked at over one million Chinese subjects and they found higher levels of obesity in those subjects that had fewer than seven hours of sleep per night. Even one night of disrupted sleep can cause cellular issues. A 2016 study in Brain Behavior and Immunity found that subjects that had poor sleep even for just one night had signs of cellular damage and aging. So as I said earlier, eight hours appears to be a pretty good minimum for your sleep duration. Eight hours of sleep seems to be the minimum requirement from an immunity and cognitive function standpoint as well a 2009 study in the Archives of Internal Medicine that looked at 153 healthy men and women and gave them the rhinovirus, which is the common cold virus via nasal drop. And they found that participants with seven hours of sleep were nearly three times more likely to develop the virus or the cold than those with eight hours or more of sleep. And then a 2003 study in the Journal of Sleep Research found that any sleep duration below eight hours caused a restriction in the brain operational capacity. So I think we're pretty clear on eight hours as our goal, but maybe you have trouble getting enough sleep. So I wanted to give you some basic tips on getting better sleep duration and better sleep quality. So here are mine that I think are the most helpful and important in no particular order. First, keep a routine go to bed at the same time every night and wake up at the same time every morning. This applies to weekdays, weekend days, and holidays. Remember the aforementioned flower greenhouse experiment? We need consistency of light and night cycle to perform optimally just like the plants do. Keep cool. Studies have shown we fall asleep and stay asleep best when we have a cool environment. And it's been shown at about 65 degrees Fahrenheit or 18 degrees Celsius to be optimal. Read a book, the kind with actual paper pages. This has actually been shown to induce sleepiness. And let's remove this stigma about going to bed early as being lazy or not tough. It's cool and healthy to go to bed early and get enough sleep. Don't stay in your bed if you can't sleep. Studies have shown that your brain will associate your bedroom with a state of unrest if you spend too much time in bed trying to fall asleep. Go do something else outside of your bedroom and come back when you're sleepy. Track it. There are tons of gadgets available to track sleep at night. It is very interesting and fun to see how you flow through these different stages of sleep, as I mentioned earlier. These devices also keep you honest about how much total sleep you're getting instead of just sort of guessing. A bedtime alarm. Now, this sounds pretty simple, and it is, but I think it's pretty helpful. Set your alarm about 15 minutes before you want to go to bed and do your normal routine of brushing teeth, changing clothes, etc. Don't talk yourself into staying up a little bit later. Just go when the alarm says to. And last, avoid light at night. Remember how the master clock perceives light through the biological clocks in the body and tells the brain to make More melatonin, the sleepy hormone, if it's dark? Well, your TV, your phone, and other random lights like your modem and air conditioner, et cetera, can trick your clocks into thinking it's daytime and it can throw off your melatonin production. So keep away from lights as much as possible. And if you must be on your phone or computer, use those blue light blocking glasses. They're actually pretty reasonably priced these days. Okay, let's move on to stress. Dealing with stress is very individualistic, obviously. Different tactics work for different people, and stressors can be pretty situation-specific. For example, I am a stressed-out, nervous traveler where my wife is actually cool as a cucumber when we travel. There's actually a really good TED-Ed video on how stress affects your body by Sharon Horish BirdQuest, and I'll link to it in the show notes and blog. It notes that stress can be good in the short term, like if we need to run away from a bear. In a stressful situation, your body's adrenal gland releases stress hormones like cortisol, epinephrine, which is adrenaline, and norepinephrine. And these cause your heart rate and your blood pressure to increase. These are good tools to help you get away from the bear in the short term, but they're bad if they're activated too often or too long. Over time, chronic stress can cause hypertension. The elevated cortisol levels can cause plaque buildup in your blood vessels. Digestive issues can occur, and visceral fat, the really bad fat that is by your organs, can be increased. On top of all that, chronic stress can harm immune cell function and even shorten your telomeres. Short frayed telomeres are correlated with chronic disease, while long telomeres equal a longer life. So next I'm going to share some tactics to help you manage stress. The first is pretty interesting. It's just about being positive and being in the right mindset. The good news is we have some control. In Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress, she discusses how our mindset about stress can actually affect how our body responds to it. She highlights a whole bunch of really cool studies, but one in particular was interesting to me. It was a 2010 study at Harvard, and it actually showed that Blood vessels of participants vasoconstricted or squeezed together less, which is a big sign of stress, um, when they were told that stress symptoms such as increased heart rate and sweat would actually help them perform better on their graduate school exam. On top of their body responding better with less vasoconstriction, they actually performed better on the exam as well. It's pretty interesting. And this is all just about mindset. Be grateful. I have discussed the health benefits of gratitude journaling numerous times on the show and how I do it each morning after I take my kids to school. Apparently, we can add stress reduction to the list of reasons to do gratitude journaling. According to Robert Emmons, a professor of psychology at UC Davis, there is a mounting data set from his studies and from others that actually show numerous health benefits of recognizing what we are grateful for on a consistent basis. Included in his data set are several key points about stress. The first is that just two weeks of consistent gratitude journaling showed a 28% reduction in perceived stress. And another is that the stress hormone cortisol can be reduced by 23% with gratitude efforts. Meditate. I used to struggle with getting into a groove with meditation, to be honest but then I started thinking about emotions as passing traffic. Andy Pudicombe, the co-founder of the Headspace meditation app, narrates a very helpful animated video on meditation that really resonated with me. In this video, he describes how it can be helpful to think of any emotions that arise while meditating as passing traffic, such as a car with anger, sadness, or nervousness. Instead of getting in the car for a ride, you just notice it and let it pass by you. Once you get in a rhythm with meditation, it really does seem to help with stress. A 2018 study completed by the U.S. Army Research Laboratory and the University of North Texas found that meditation reduced stress and improved cognitive performance in soldiers. They used heart rate variability to measure stress and track it. Speaking of heart rate variability, there's an easy way to track how stressed your body really is. Sometimes we are stressed and we don't even realize it. I discuss how to use HRV or heart rate variability um, to manage workout intensity on a daily basis in my article on how to listen to your body. Now, HRV helps us understand how recovered our autonomic nervous system is from a stress perspective, and this is useful for training, but it's also very useful in understanding just how well your body is responding to all stressors. If your HRV score is in the tank, it may be your training volume, but it could also be how you're dealing with other stress, such as emotional stress, or it may be both. Okay, moving on to the next topic of productivity. David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, truly changed the way I approach my work and personal tasks and is my favorite productivity resource. There are certainly lots of hacks, methods, and applications for productivity available to us today. But David's system and mindset around productivity really resonated with me. Several years ago, I implemented the basic tactics he discusses, and I've been able to stick with him to this day, which I think speaks to how well they work. The guiding principle behind his work is that our brains can only hold on to so much information at once, and as such we need to capture and systematize our ideas to save space. So I'm going to share a summary of some of David's main concepts that have helped me. First probably the most important is to capture your ideas somewhere. David suggests that we shouldn't have any new ideas more than once. There are tons of apps for idea capture, and of course, good old pencil and paper work just fine too. I like Evernote because it's cloud-based and I can open and save anywhere. The app also works with phone dictation so I can capture on the go. The idea is that if you aren't worried about remembering new ideas or new to-dos, then you will have the capacity for creativity and for new opportunities. So just capture everything as you think of it. Next action and due date. Once the ideas are captured, it is time to plug them into some sort of system along with a date that it's due. For example, maybe you captured start presentation for ABC client. When plugging this into your project spreadsheet or whatever system you want to use, you will actually add an action step and a due date to that step. Maybe it would be create slides on stress due on June 5th. For me personally, this takes me from a confused and overwhelmed mode to a much more organized, calm, and productive state. Now, yes, it is going to take some time to set all this up with all of your projects, but if you stay on top of it daily, thereafter, it really is a helpful system. It works great for work and for personal tasks, too. So you basically treat all of your work and personal tasks like project management. And last, the two-minute rule. The two-minute rule works well when you're doing input tasks like reviewing your email. If you can do the task in two minutes or less, you simply just do it right away. This will save you time trying to figure out plugging it in and adding an action and a due date to it. And this works well if you set aside specific time in your day to do input and output tasks. I like to do output work like creating presentations or building a new workout program early in the day, as research shows that you're more productive at this time. Then in the afternoon, I will schedule time to do input tasks and knock off anything that takes two minutes or less. This is a great way to stay on top of easy to complete items and helps you stay above water with your overall project task list. And we will finish out the topics with routine as it ties together everything very nicely. Remember the feedback loops that stress, sleep, and productivity operate in with each other. For example, productivity creates less stress, which creates more productivity. Or less productivity creates less sleep, which creates less productivity. Routine can be added to any one of these topics into a positive or negative feedback loop. You'll notice some overlap in tactics to improve sleep, stress, and productivity. And that's because they're really closely tied to success or failure of one another. So I'm going to share a list of musts that I think are most important for your daily routine. First, same time daily. Go to bed and wake up at the same time on every day that ends in day. Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, holiday. You get the idea. Remember the flower that needs the same light and night cycle. We operate on the same type of light cue based circadian rhythm. Get eight hours of sleep. Hopefully all the aforementioned data on not getting enough sleep made this one a no-brainer, but I wanted to make sure. Next, exercise daily. Among the plethora of health benefits from exercise are better sleep, more productivity, and less stress. I like to recommend three days of strength training and four days of cardio each week. Just do something every day. Every workout doesn't have to be, nor should it be, a super intense session. Maybe it is a family hike or chill yoga session. Just do some sort of movement daily. Hardest first. When you start your work day in the morning, do the hardest output task, which is when you're creating something first. Research has shown that we're most productive early in the day, so don't waste that time in email jail. Next, capture ideas and update. We discussed why it is important to get ideas out of your head and stored somewhere. Get in a habit of doing this daily anytime you come up with something new. Update your system, spreadsheet, app, whatever it is, daily to make sure you are inserting action steps and due dates. Next, track heart rate variability. Use this quantifiable overview of your stress and see how well you're managing. Factors that improve or hinder your score include sleep, stress, exercise, nutrition, et cetera. And last, one de-stress tactic. Do at least one de-stress strategy daily, such as meditation, gratitude journaling, or exercise, or even better, do all three. Thank you all very much for listening to the show today. A few things you can do to help out Boost Health if you would be so kind. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast in your podcast app. Leave a review on the Boost Health Facebook page. Subscribe to the Boost Health TV YouTube channel and follow My Boost Health on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also visit the Boost Health website at myboosthealth.com for links to everything along with more motivation and information. Until next time, this is Paul Sandberg saying goodbye and find your balance.